What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wealth Managed podcast. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research for Morningstar. David, I have made so much money off of my Dogecoin investments in GameStop on Robinhood. You too? I've actually probably made more than you, just for the record, just to be clear here, because I was in- There's early. no way. Was, no, there's no way. I was back when GameStop was trading at 30, and then I sold it at 450, and I made $100,000, and I posted about it on Instagram, and everyone's jealous now. David, I've had so many people who know nothing about investing come up to me and say, what, what do you think about GameStop? And do you think it's a good investment? I actually had somebody at a financial company who on a Zoom call was saying, you know, I, I just bought about 10 shares at $300 a share. And I, I just sat there and I thought, why, why did you do that? Because you know that it's not worth $300 a share. It, it was worth $5 a share a few months ago. What happens? Like, How can people get caught up in something that is so obviously a bubble? Well, so now a bubble is, is, when, is when asset prices go up and they come crashing down, right? The thing about bubbles is you only usually see them with the benefit of hindsight, right? Like, like dot-com. And people said that the, dot, the, the, the dot-com thing, maybe they'll go up forever. They remember the, uh, the, the Dow 36,000 book. And so I think a key with bubbles is that we know they're bubbles usually after the fact. But I think, to your point, everyone knew that what was happening with GameStop was a bubble, right? I think that Bitcoin, it's kind of uncertain. Maybe it's worth it or it's not. But GameStop went up like, what, 8 or 10x in value in the span of one or two weeks, right? And so all of a sudden you have, I had people that I know that don't ever care what I do ask me what's going on with investing. And I think well, this is where advisors are so critical because if you know someone at a financial company who's putting some money in a game stock, what is the average person doing when they, you know, when they see or hear about these stocks going up, you know, eight hundred percent? And I think one of the most fascinating things about it is that the whole phenomenon was based on the idea that people were intentionally making the stock overvalued. Why? Because they wanted to stick it to the man. Because the man had to buy a bunch of shares at GameStop because they had a short position on GameStop, which is something that hedge funds do if they expect the price to go down. So this all happened because the price was too expensive when it was $15 a share. So investors consciously pushed it up to $400 a share. What would you be thinking if you paid $400 a share for something where the whole purpose of investing in it is to push the price up beyond what it's actually worth? Well, I mean, I think like there, there is this question, you know, how high will it go, right? I think if you're a hedge fund and you have access to order flow, maybe you buy it at 400 because you know that there's a bunch of suckers coming in at, at 415. But I think for the average person who can't see that, like, why are you doing it? I mean, all of a sudden, maybe GameStop isn't revolutionized the way that they sell video games, but I don't know that they're, the business model is viable long term. And so I think this is the speculation angle to investing right now. I think now that commissions are gone and, you know, anyone can open up a Robinhood account online really fast, it really gets back to this kind of feeling of, you know, during the dot-com bubble, where everyone wants to own part of the market and be a day trader. And, you know, sad but true, but this is no different than going to casino effectively. These people are not, you know, like reading fundamentals and understanding who the CEO is. They're just trying to make money off it. And this usually ends badly for a lot of people 
at some point in time in the future. But the question is, is like, how long can this go on? Well, I think what's so fascinating, too, is I, I don't know if you were struck by this, but people were taking screenshots of the Robin Hood balance that, you know, now they had three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars and people would see that and they would experience an immediate emotional response to that regret. Why couldn't I do that? And what do you want to do if somebody is doing something that got them rich? You want to join in on it. You don't want to experience that regret. And I think that regret, those emotions are incredibly powerful at motivating investments. But of course, emotions are not the right way to invest. But how do you get beyond that? How do you tamp your emotions down? Well, I mean, hopefully, if you're doing this, it's, it's, it's with the play money. I worry about that person you mentioned. But I mean, I think what you discussed is the root of why people at least talk to me about it. Like they hear people are making all this money, and they want to make money too. And it's hard to tell them that you really shouldn't be doing this. And I think that's why if you're an advisor, a big part of your job is behavioral coaching. It's helping clients from themselves because it's true you could have made money if you bought GameStock at 50, but a lot of folks lost a ton of money on the way to the top. And do you think it is the smartest investors who lost the most money? No. And I think that's that's the funny thing, right? That, that yes, some hedge funds did lose money because they had to cover their shorts and there was a timing issue. But you know, I don't know how to calculate this, but my guess is a lot more retail investors lost a ton more money than those hedge fund lost because they went and bought in when the stock was trading at $300. I mean, I tried to go in and buy put options. And so I wanted to make money off of all these irrational investors, but it was incredibly expensive. And I think one reason the stock went up the way that it did is because it was difficult for, we'll call it smarter money, actually short the stock once it went so high and, and make money from this irrational bubble, right? So it wasn't like you or I could go in and, and buy a cheap put option when it was $300 and make a bunch of money. No, like the put options were, were over $100 or an X free of less than a week. So, you know, it was very, very expensive to kind of get access to it and try to make money if you want to take an, a, a different position than long after it went up. And I think that's one of the most worrying aspects about all this is that short sellers have a place in the marketplace. They help try to keep prices at a fair value so that you and I, who invest mainly in mutual funds and mainly in passive mutual funds, we know that when we invest in those funds, the funds go out and buy a share of game stock, it's fairly priced. And part of the reason it's fairly priced is because those short sellers are out there trying to push down the price of stocks that are overvalued. And what happens is when a bunch of individual investors come in and artificially push up that price, well, sure, it's fun, you know, it's, it's for a while, and then it's not so fun. But what I think one of the things that worries me is that's a market distortion. And I don't like it when markets get distorted. I mean, part of this is just the excitement of making a lot of money in a short amount of time. But part of it is the sadness of people who lost money because they, they regretted not buying it when it was cheaper. And, and part of it's also, this is not good for the market to show that it's that easily distorted, is it? Right. I mean, I, I might change one thing you said where I like the idea of short sellers because I want someone to make money when, when the markets go up and go down. Right? If everyone only makes money when it goes up, it creates this kind of it's just it's just going to throw more fuel on the fire. But by coming in, hedge funds want to make money when it goes down. They're actively looking out you know, stocks to sell. And, and so it, it kind of balances things out. And the people would say, well, if the markets are efficient, this shouldn't happen. Well, I mean, this stuff can happen, but it corrects itself, right? So there are short-term anomalies that are going to happen in the market. You know, the key is over the long haul, 
it's a pretty good gauge of the value of the company. Now, what worries me though is that you know it got tons of press. People are talking to you, talking to me. Does this get more people interested in day trading their portfolios, doing things that that normal human beings shouldn't be doing because it hurts them in the long run? Good point, David. Let's take a break for a moment. For more on the rise and fall of GameStop and what it means for the future of financial services, read and listen to the audio version of our white paper. Get access now at theamericancollege.edu slash GameStop. Give your clients the retirement security they need with our Retirement Income Certified Professional designation. Visit theamericancollege.edu slash RICP to learn more. The American College of Financial Services proudly supports the next generation of financial professionals and leaders. I'm Ross Riskin, head of the college's next-gen advisory task force. And if you're looking for important and timely knowledge on financial planning, career building, networking, and more for next-gen advisors and those working with next-gen clients, then tune into our Next Gen in 10 podcast. Subscribe and listen to all our episodes at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Hey, let's get back to our conversation. You're not old enough to remember the late 1990s, <laughs> David. But I, uh, I was in high school. Then I was I had, I had an online trading account. Then of course I do. <laughs> but that was a time you, you saw this similar kind of excitement and speculation. And one of the worries is that people get really burned, especially young people. Right. That's they're going to carry that around with them for a lifetime. In fact, there's some research that shows. Uh, there's a, a great study called Depression Babies that showed that people who grew up in the depression and experienced losses in stocks were less likely to invest in stock for the rest of their life. Um, and if people really get scarred from something like this, then they're going to be less likely to invest the way that you and I invest, which is slowly in a very boring fashion and very boring, low cost investments which is the way that people generally accumulate wealth over time, we don't want to discourage that kind of behavior. As much as I worry about you know, the, the younger individuals getting burned, they got plenty of time to make things up. Like, you know, they, they can learn from their mistakes. What, what worries me the most are older investors closer to retirement, maybe who are behind. You know, that, you know, mistakes for them matter a lot more. And you would think that they're going to be smarter than you know, younger investors, but you and I have seen this in our own research. They're the ones that react the most when markets move. And so they're the ones that, that, you know, people that have a lot of money, they're the ones I actually worry the most about because they, in some sense, have the most to lose. That's true. And I think if you're an advisor, you want to make sure that if you have a client that wants to jump into a speculative market, that you try to frame it in such a way that they don't end up losing, you know, let them play around with it a little bit, but maybe with a very small percentage of their portfolio that they can get it out of their system, but it's not going to harm their ability to live a comfortable retirement. This is Chris, one of the producers of Wealth Managed, and I'm going to come in as a flaming populist. And I'm going to ask Okay, there are hedge fund companies that can come in and do some pretty powerful things to, quote, manipulate or change the market. So why can't a bunch of folks collectively pool their money to do the same thing? Can you help me understand the danger of that? Or at least why shouldn't we? I think any investor can. I mean, I think there's actually rules against like collaboration on driving up stock prices, right? But, you know, at the end, you know, however much money you have, if things move far enough away from the fundamental value, someone will come in to take advantage of that. So 
you know, you might argue that, that hedge funds come in and they distort the markets. Well, hedge funds only exist to make money. They will like kill you to make money. And so just because some of them do it, the other ones will trade against them to make money from them. And so, I mean, in theory, yeah, like there's this populist thing, like they're sticking it to the hedge funds. But I mean, you know, I saw this take investing in the, in the stock markets to try to like beat hedge funds is like a gambler starting to go to a casino to like beat the casino. Like that's not exactly what you want to be doing to, to lead a better outcome. I think that there's other ways to go about doing this. And now that there's there's more people drinking from that, you know, trading pond, it, it's not it, it's a good thing for all those hedge funds. It's a bad thing for all those investors because the hedge funds are going to make more money over the long haul than those retail investors. It's a great point. You're not going to beat the hedge funds. I, the other point I want to make, Chris, is whose money are the hedge funds investing? Uh, in many cases, it's your money or your dad's money. Why? Because they're investing pension assets. They're investing endowment money. You know, they're making money for us. They're making money for themselves. They're making an obscene amount of money for themselves. But in an efficient market, what they're trying to do is capture some of these inefficiencies. They serve a useful purpose in that marketplace. And they also, down the line, benefit those who have capital. And in many cases, those who have capital are us. We just don't see it in our bank account. But if we own a pension or if we have access to a pension, then that money is being invested somewhere. In many cases, they're being invested in these same hedge funds. So we're harming ourselves to some extent. You know, prices in, in the stock market can always move crazy over a short time period, but it usually comes back to reality at some point in time. How long was GameStop crazy? Two or three weeks? I mean, th that might seem like a long time, but it's it's not in, in the history of financial markets. And so I would say that people might think that, oh, the, the rules have changed. The Wall Street bets crowd is going to run the show going forward. That's ridiculous, right? I think that longer term, this just reinforces that there's a lot of volatility in the short term, make smart long-term plays and don't try to time the market. Yeah, and I, I don't see this repeating itself over and over again. Sure, someone went on Reddit and got a bunch of people to buy shares of stock, and who knows what their motivation was. I'm sure for a lot of people who were trying to push it, their motivations weren't exactly pure. So I think in conclusion, David, what we saw was something that was really exciting, but it was maybe a short-term phenomenon. And it's maybe a phenomenon that's not going to repeat itself again soon. A lot of people got really rich really quick, but maybe it made the markets a little bit less healthy for a time. But maybe in the long run, those same investors that got burned are not going to get burned again. The big problem is, of course, are those investors still going to hold part of the market in the future? My hope is that they do. Yeah, I mean, I think that markets are always evolving this was an interesting case study, the market itself for women grow. On that note, thank you for joining us for the Wealth Managed Podcast. I'm Michael Finca. I'm David Blanchett. See y'all later. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services. 